Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I haven't hosted the past couple of shows, so I'm happy to be back with all of you. And I hope, even though it was already two weeks ago, that you had a great Thanksgiving. Those of you applying to the University of California system, that you got everything in by the deadline of November 30th. Uh, and of course, no one's done yet. There are lots of applications to go. Um, but today we're going to be talking about a few different things. Uh, probably most pressing for many of you who are listening, who are seniors or who are parents of seniors. And that is what to expect in terms of the early round results. Cause we're going to, we're going to talk about that in office hours. We're also going to take you inside the financial aid office at St. Olaf, uh, and tell you a little bit about how their process works. But in our first segment, I'm super excited to welcome Maria Furtado, who's the Executive Director of Colleges That Change Lives, and she's here to talk to us about Colleges That Change Lives. Hi, Maria. Good morning. How are you? Good morning where I'm I am. I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Good morning where you are. All right. Well, that's good. It's afternoon here, uh, but that's the beauty of doing things like this and people all over the country. I think my first question for you, for our listeners who perhaps this is the first they're hearing about colleges that change lives, or they may think that we're just kind of talking in general terms, but colleges that change lives is actually a thing. And you are the executive director and maybe tell us a little bit about what it is. Thank you. We are a thing. I like that. I may use that in my presentations going forward. We are a nonprofit organization with 44 small liberal arts colleges as members, including St. Olaf college, whom you're going to be talking with later on. We came together uh, almost 22 years ago, sort of unofficially, and started working together just as a group of colleges who felt that they had enough commonality and enough difference to serve an audience, to serve a group of students or parents or counselors out of program. We were all profiled in a book called Colleges That Change Lives, written by Lauren Pope. And Lauren worked for the New York Times for years as the Times education editor, and he was very excited about and very interested in and intrigued by the experiences that students had at small residential liberal arts colleges. And the message that he heard over and over and over and over was, this place changed my life. The transformational educational and personal experience was very important to him, and so he recommended it highly to students and their parents. They asked him if he could please just make a list. Make a list of good schools, Lauren, please. That would be very helpful. And that was not Lauren's interest at all. So he wrote his first book called Looking Beyond the Ivy League, And then a second book, after parents came back and said, please, please, tell us more, uh, he wrote Colleges That Changed Lives. In the second book, CTCL, he profiled 40 schools in depth, and there are some great opening chapters as well. After we had worked together for about 10 years, maybe a little bit more, uh, Lauren was already into his mid-90s, and so we wanted to make sure that his work would continue as he perhaps did not continue working on books. And so we uh, asked him for his blessing to start a nonprofit, and that has been 11 years now that we've been a nonprofit organization. Our three basic goals are to remind everybody, students, parents, counselors, the general public, the relatives you meet at the holidays, just remind everybody <laughs> that the search really is student-centered. 
It's about students creating a list of schools that will be a good place, a good place for them to thrive because they are supported and challenged both, and intellectually and personally supported and challenged both. And then we spend a lot of time talking about the liberal arts as a viable and exciting way of learning an education that will go forward with students into a world that we can't predict. The jobs that the, the students in college and high school have now, those jobs don't exist today, so many of them. It's just like mm-hmm. the jobs that kids have now or young people have now did not exist when I was in high school. Nobody wanted to be a web designer. There was no web. So didn't exist, we want, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We want students to have a skill set that can move with them in creative ways and allow them to be the people who come up with creative answers, who come up with new ideas, not just employees, but really valuable employees or entrepreneurs and leaders within their field. And then, of course, because everybody knows this and thinks about it, we also um, are able to help these schools with visibility. These are not all schools that people jump up and say, oh, I know that one. Some of them are smaller institutions that are perhaps a little bit more regional, but they do quality work for students, and they are so holistic and thoughtful and careful in their admission process, and their faculty are excited to work with students who are A students and work with students who are B students and work with students who are just coming into their own as they go into the college search. So I hope that's a good summary for you, Beth. Yeah, no, it's excellent. And I and what I love about it, too, what I love about what CTCL is doing is we talk a lot internally at College Coach, and we do we have done some segments on this on the podcast, just about how, I don't know when liberal arts became almost, not a negative, maybe that's a little extreme, but how it became sort of a less than concept. And I, I, I do understand it. College is really expensive, and I think people started to feel like if I'm going to go into debt or my child's going to go into debt or... You know, they're going to go and spend these four years and spend all this money. We want something more concrete than just, hey, I can read, write, and think. And yet I would argue that what's more important than the ability to read, write, and think? You can almost learn anything. Maybe you can't be an engineer. Maybe you can't be a doctor right out of the gates. But if you can read, write, and think, it's going to be um, really helpful to you. So what I, what I have found interesting, if I can just comment on that, sure. what I found interesting is when you read about what employers are looking for, mm-hmm. when employers list the skill set they're looking for, especially in young employees, because as you said, you can learn anything if you can read, write, and think. Uh, so, yep. in, so employers are not typically um, upset if you don't understand their industry as a young employee, but they're, so they're willing to teach you the industry, but they don't want to teach you to think. So when you read about what employers say, they will typically say, we want good thinkers, creative and critical thinkers, good communicators, people who write well and communicate well in person, people who problem solve creatively and differently and can see connections where others do not see connections, can see solutions where others do not see solutions, the ability to work with people not like them. So to Mm -hmm. see a different skill set and realize how important that is. And then also the ability to analyze data, to see patterns and trends. And and when you think about that skill set, that, in essence, defines a liberal arts education. And the other tricky part, I think, is that people somehow have decided, people, the general people out in the world, have decided that science is separate from the liberal arts. And it's not. It's just... All, all part of the same style of education. And that skill set is extraordinarily useful to people in the sciences. Yes, absolutely. And, and so 
all of this totally on board. And I will confess, of course, I was an English major, so I really buy into the liberal arts because it's supported me through a few different careers that I've had uh, since graduated from college a very long time ago. What is um, what are the criteria to be a CTCL school? You said there are 40 that were profiled in Lauren Pope's book. Uh, have you added any since then? Do schools apply to be part of your organization? How's that piece work? Our charter, our charter members or founding members are the 40 schools that were profiled in the last book that Lauren worked on himself. So that was in 2006. Lauren's family owns the book, and so in 2012, they decided with their literary agent and the publisher to do another version of the book. So they hired an author, Hilary Maisel Oswald, to do a revision in 2012. And when she did that, she chose four schools to profile, uh, new schools to profile. And so we invited them to join our organization. So our membership is 44 schools. The basic criteria truly is having been vetted by either Lauren or Hillary. And then the board, we're, because we're a nonprofit, we have a board. Uh, the board and I spend a lot of time really just continuing to monitor, I think is a good word, what's happening on the campuses, make sure that each of them is still being very holistic in their admission review, is delivering on the promise of a, of a good, comprehensive liberal arts education that, as you said, teaches a student to read, write, and think. And those mm-hmm. are the, the biggest things that we can offer students. I am uh, contacted probably, I'd say, between three and five times a month by different mm. institutions of all types, some of whom would be a great fit and some of whom would not be a great fit because they're not actual liberal arts colleges. Um, but we, what I tell them is the same thing. We have not, as a board, figured out exactly how to vet new schools. And so we're not, I think, 100% convinced that adding schools is the right thing. And if we decide to add things, add schools, we would really have to spend a lot of time figuring out the evaluative process because Lauren and Hillary spent so much time investigating each of the schools, understanding their data, visiting the campuses, talking with students, alumni, faculty, staff, administration. So we, we just haven't figured out um, again, if we should grow and if we should grow, what would be the right way to grow? Sure. That makes sense. And, and I mean, 44 schools is not a small number. So it sounds like probably, you know, certainly there should be options there for lots of students and families who are intrigued by this concept. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, learn and we're, very, we're very clear, Beth, to, to say that these are not the only 44 schools that change lives. And that's, it's interesting when I was a college rep and on, on the board, other reps would come up, they're kind of like, well, my school changes lives too. <laughs> and I yes. said, of course it does. Of course it does. But the idea is that these were, these were, were evaluated and profiled by Lauren because of his experience, really, in many ways, with them as as results in student searches. So we fully recognize that there are lots of other institutions and families ask me and I make recommendations for other schools that I think are similar uh, and have the same set of values and the same holistic way of looking at students and the same delivery of a good quality liberal arts education. And sometimes I think parents are surprised because they'll come to our program and ask me for a recommendation. I might give them three CTCL schools and three not CTCL schools. Or they'll go into the room and they'll talk to one rep, and when they're done with that rep, they'll say, have you looked at this other school? That might be a good one for you, too. And so I think that students and parents sometimes expect this to be a more cutthroat competitive process between schools 
schools, where in so many ways it's really so much more collaborative, and the goal is for students to have a good list so that they have good options. Right, and th- and and that's the whole thing that kind of brought these schools together is that focus on the student experience and helping students figure out the right environment. So it makes sense that that would be the kind of spirit that infuses all of the work that the CTLs, um, CTCL schools are doing. Um, a quick, just a couple of things. Are there any cool things in particular that are going on right now at any of the CTL, CTCL schools that you would want to share with our audience? I think some of the interesting things I've seen, I noticed that uh, Cornell College added engineering going into this year. So I think that, or into last year. I think that'll be an interesting way for them to expand their sciences is to actually have an engineering program on campus. They also Mm -hmm. do the one course at a time program, which is uh, not at all common. There's, as far as I know, three colleges that do one class at a time. So they do 18 days and then they take a couple of days off and then they do 18 days and they basically do a semester in those 18 days. Um, I just know, I know that Birmingham Southern recently did a tuition reset and that they have uh, really evaluated where they fall in Alabama and the South in general as an institution and what cost means to people there and how they look at cost. And so they did a tuition reset. Um, I've seen some pretty interesting work coming out of uh, Reed, as always, really creative work. And then Millsaps just had its second Fulbright Scholar, I think in the last two years, maybe three years, they just had their second Fulbright Scholar. So there's a lot of really good work happening on these campuses. That is pretty cool. And we have, we have a few readies here on staff at College Coach. So big, big support for CTCL schools and just the way that they teach students and engage with their student populations. For families who want to learn more, what are some good resources that they could go to to learn more about CTCL? The easiest way is to start at our website, which is just ctcl.org. And they can poke around there. They can be connected through our website to each of the 44 colleges' websites. They can do a search on a particular major in our little search box, um, knowing that it's a literal search. So if they put in pre-medicine, it'll only come up for the ones that wrote pre-medicine. Just putting that out there as a little caveat. But they can start with our website. They can also follow us on Facebook, and it's just Colleges That Change Lives. They can follow us on Twitter at CTCL Colleges. And I try to post three to five articles a day, uh, typically highlighting student successes, interesting things happening to alumni, faculty-student collaboration, perhaps new programs on campuses, as well as pieces about the liberal arts and the value of the liberal arts. They can also come to one of our programs. So our programs in 2018 are set, and they can find those on our website, on, on our website under events. And we'll be in 25 or 27 different cities around the country. And the programs are structured that I'll do a short opening, about 25 minutes, and then we do a college fair that lasts about 90 minutes with anywhere between 39 and 43 of the colleges, depending on the tour. So we do four tours a year. And then for counselors, uh, if you have some counselors listening, we'll be doing events across campus. We do four, uh, not across campus, sorry, we're across country, we're doing four uh, breakfast events for counselors, independent and high school-based counselors, as well as CBO counselors and any transfer counselors who work with students looking to move from community college or two-year college to a four-year school. Awesome. That is, those are a lot of different ways to interact. I will tell my listeners that I actually follow you guys on Facebook and I see those articles that you post and they're very interesting. 
Thank you. And yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. And, and thanks for joining us today. I, I hope that our listeners go right to your website and learn more about these schools because there are really fabulous places that I wish more people would consider. Um, so thanks, absolutely. Maria. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Stay tuned. We're going to the break. But when we get back, we are going to be talking about financial aid at St. Olaf. So don't go away. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for uh, today's episode of Getting In. I am excited to welcome my frequent guest and collaborator, Kathy Ruby, uh, who is formerly of the Admissions Financial Aid Office at St. Olaf. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Beth. Hello. Well, usually you join me and we talk, we do listener questions, or often yeah. when you're on, we do listener questions. Well, we're not doing that today. Instead, you're going to take us inside the financial aid office at St. Olaf, where you worked for a number of years. Um, why don't, though, we start, and uh, our, former, our guest in the last segment, Maria Furtado, made the connection between Colleges That Change Lives, of which she is the executive director, and the fact that St. Olaf 
is a college that changes lives, which is kind of an exciting little uh, <laughs> twist that Who we knew? didn't really plan in advance. But I love it when it works out this way. But maybe tell us just a little bit about St. Olaf before we get into some of the other details. All right. Well, um, I, n- number one, I loved my time at St. Olaf. I was there for 14 years. Um, it's a selective liberal arts college in Minnesota, about 40, located in Northfield, which is about 40 miles south of the Twin Cities. So it's a really cute little college town. Um, St. Olaf has about 3,000 students and um, just a strong liberal arts program. Uh, they're known for a very strong math and science program, um, music, lots and lots of study abroad opportunities. They have a semester, J-term semester schedule that allows a lot of kids to get off campus. Um, it's a great community, very strong community feel. Um, and then as the name suggests, of course, they're a Lutheran college of the Evangelical Church of America, Lutheran Church of America, um, but there's lots of diversity um, on campus. Certainly not all the students are Lutheran, um, and in terms of how that's incorporated, I think there's a required religion class, um, and chapel happens every day, but it's not required by any stretch, Um, but it's definitely a part of the culture that it is a Lutheran college, too, but it's a great place. And then... I, as I, when I was introducing you, I mentioned that you worked in financial aid at St. Olaf, but tell us a little bit about your specific role there. Yeah, so I was director of financial aid for 10 years, and then for my last four years there, I was actually an assistant vice president of enrollment, so I still oversaw the financial aid office operation, but I was also sort of working more with admissions on collaboration and cross-training between the admissions and financial aid offices and helping helping us work well together. Um, and I do want to clarify, I think we all, when we're talking about behind the scenes, we all talk about how we're going to talk today about how things worked when I was there, but that was four years ago. So I've been at College Coach for four years now. So, um, you know, certainly the the final word on how things work at St. Olaf is going to be from St. Olaf itself, but I can talk about what we did then. And certainly I've been perusing the website and talking to my former colleagues and can see when things are still similar too. Got it. Okay. Well, then why don't we start, tell us a little bit about the aid program at St. Olaf and how that works. All right. So, St. Olaf's financial aid program is primarily need-based. Um, so they had a pot, they are one of the 80 to 100 schools that meet full need for all admitted students, which is actually a pretty big deal for a school like St. Olaf. It, it really speaks to their commitment to access because it's fairly unusual for a college of their endowment per student size. So in other words, they have a healthy endowment, but per student. Mm -hmm. It's much lower than a lot of other colleges who meet full need. So it really speaks well to their commitment to access. Um, They also did have a very robust merit scholarship program and still do. Um, They have academic scholarships, a service leadership that's sort of a community service kind of scholarship, um, and then a a series of fine arts scholarships, including music, of course, um, dance, theater, and art. So when I was at St. Olaf, if you were in the top half of the the applicant pool, you could probably expect to receive some kind of an academic award ranging from, you know, just a few thousand dollars to several thousand dollars a year. Um, the amounts are different now. 
it looks like the range is like ten to twenty five thousand for the academic scholarships and and I don't know anymore who they're awarding those to, but that's certainly something you could ask them about. Um, mm-hmm. The top level academic award was pretty was pretty selective and pretty rigorous, and they would invite and and it looks like they still do invite a small group of students on campus to interview with faculty to get that top academic award. Um, we competed with, you know, like any school, we had our, our group of competitors. So we were competing with um, regional, more regional, less selective colleges that offered more generous merit aid. Um, but then we were also competing with more selective national um, colleges. So we were sort of, you know, in the middle there competing mm-hmm. in both ways. But this, this aid program worked pretty well for us in terms of helping us fill that class every year. Sure. That makes sense because you might find that some of those schools are going to be less generous on the need-based side or more generous on the need-based side. And and if you guys were sort of generous on both ends, that had to be helpful. Um, And people probably it was was an interesting place. And we really were, I mean, while it sounds like a true Minnesota college, we were a national college. We did have kids from almost every state every year. So um, certainly a lot of Midwestern kids, but a lot of kids from around the country as well. Right, right. So how does the need-based financial aid application process work for new students there? Uh, So St. Olaf is a profile school. So they, in fact, they started that while I was there. That was one of the decisions I made was to to have, uh, we used the CSS profile to establish Mm -hmm. financial need. And just just to remind families, um, this is a form that about 200 private colleges use um, to assess, to calculate an institutional expected family contribution um, that they use to award their institutional aid. So um, St. Olaf requires the CSS profile. They also require the non-custodial profile form. Um, and then, of course, we required the FAFSA. St. Olaf asks for copies of taxes, um, but they don't use the College Board IDOC system. And so that, that's really just driven by the document imaging system that a college uses. Um, but we use the profile because we really felt strongly that it did a better job meeting financial need or assessing financial need. Yep. Um, so, so when we started receiving those profile forms, we did, you know, the, the staff in the financial aid office did a holistic and an individual review of each application. So um, we were in constant contact with admissions to figure out who was likely to be admitted. So we knew who to concentrate on. Um, and we were essentially reviewing the profile, reviewing the FAFSA, reviewing the tax information, um, and looking for conflicting information or things that didn't make sense. So, you know, it might be that somebody reported assets on the FAFSA that they didn't report on the profile, or they mm-hmm. might have reported no assets, but then reported that they had interest income. So we'd want to know, you know, how did that happen? Right. Um, you know, certainly we encourage families to talk about special circumstances on their application, so we would be reviewing that special circumstance information. And, you know, from a processing perspective in a financial aid office, um, you know, certainly we would reach out to families to get additional information if we needed it. But there was always this uh, balance between trying to get complete information from someone who you didn't even know really how serious they were going to be, right? Because as mm-hmm. we know, kids apply to lots of different colleges. Yeah. Um, and then the balance between having good information but trying to get an award out as quickly as possible so that 
the family had what they needed to start to make the decision. So sometimes we had to move quickly and then hope that the family would come back if they if they really wanted more clarification on how their special circumstance had been considered or whatever it might be. And um, I think that is, that just, just to interject, that kind of underscores the idea that if you are concerned that maybe your special circumstances weren't taken into consideration anywhere, that it's valuable yes. to pick up the phone and call because... Absolutely. You know, the offices at all of these colleges are under these kinds of constraints. And I know the big fear is always, well, what if they take away what they've already given us? That never happens. So no. just pick up the phone <laughs> and ask the question. Anyway, right. I wanted to realize. And, you know, the other thing this underscores is why it is that colleges have deadlines. Because right. we needed that time to be able to review your information while the admissions office was busy making their decisions. So, um, you know, that's why those deadlines existed. Right. Um, so, and then for merit scholarships, um, the academic scholarship process was part of the reading process. So the reader for the student would be making recommendations to the scholarship committee about what level of award that they thought the student should get. And remember, readers, just like at most colleges, knew the high school they were reading from. Um, and I guess I want to stress again, it was a holistic review of the file. So it, And in fact, St. Olaf wasn't a school that could say, oh, if your GPA is this and your test score is this, you're going to get this much in a merit scholarship because it wasn't that simple. They were looking at the whole student. Um, right. And so then there was a scholarship committee, uh, which was a subset of the admission committee and, and also included me. And then after that, it was ultimately up to the, you know, the, the dean of admissions and financial aid to make the final decisions. Um, and then the fine arts scholarships were all administered through the fine arts departments because, of course, we weren't going to be selecting who the best oboist or the best violinist sure. was. <laughs> so... <laughs> That was, you might have that was been, that you, you might have been qualified to do that, but yes, it certainly makes yeah. sense to give those exactly. I play to the, the I know good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think this is also a really good point that you're making here, just about the fact that um, it, it depends on the pool every year too, right? right? So yes. that's another reason why you can't say if you're this and this, then we're awarding you this scholarship automatically. It's just really about who is standing out in the pool this year? And last year's person who's in the top half of the pool might actually be in the lower half of the pool the next year. Right. Um, so and it also more, depends on how you did in the previous year. You know, how full yeah. was your class and what's your target this year? And right. yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. Absolutely. So if a student is being considered for all of these different types of aid, they are going to qualify for need-based aid and they are looking like a good candidate for merit-based aid. How does that all come together? Yeah, so the 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 academic scholarship awards go out went out with the admission decision because that was it was based solely on you know, your, your academic record and, and the review of your file. And then the fine arts scholarships went out shortly after. Um, and then the financial aid award essentially summed it all up. So would summarize all of the scholarships you might have been awarded. It went out shortly after the admission decision did, um, very shortly after. Um, and so because we met full need, it was possible that somebody could get an academic scholarship and then a need-based scholarship. So it, it could happen that way. Um, but there were also limits on how many merit scholarships you could receive. Um, not not the number, but the amount. So sure. 
we had some kids who were just superstars and they would qualify for the academic scholarship and the service scholarship and they were a talented musician. Um, so they were held to a total scholarship award of half of the comprehensive fee, which is tuition fees, room and board, um, or the amount of their need, whichever was greater. Because remember, okay. we were meeting needs. So that means you could end up having your all of your need met with merit scholarships if you were that good. Um, and it does look like that's still their policy on their website, but again, that's up to them ultimately how they're going to do it this year. <laughs> right. Well, and then the other thing that's interesting there, too, is you could be a superstar with no need, and you might theoretically come out with merit-based need that would cover half of your full cost to go to St. Right. Olaf, if exactly. I understand it. If you, right. if you were a talented musician and qualified for the other scholarships as well. Yep. Right. Got it. Well, Hindsight's 2020, of course. It's been four years since you were there, but now that you have been working with families here at College Coach for a few years, um, do you have a perspective on on what you did when you were there that is new or in you know some way has changed since you were doing that work? Well, um, I guess I would say that what I've observed since I've come to College Coach, of course, working at College Coach, I work with families all over the country and from both coasts, certainly a lot more than I did when I was in the Midwest. Um, so I think one of my observations has been about how much of a price performer certainly St. Olaf, but certainly other Midwestern colleges can be um, mm-hmm. in terms of their sticker prices are lower. They offer generous merit aid because they're in a in a demographic where the population of 18 to 22 year olds isn't growing as, you know, as it does in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So I guess overall, if people are willing to look in the Midwest, sometimes they can, they can find some, some great schools at, at a good, at a good net price. Um, and then I guess the other piece was just, I mean, I think it's just the Midwestern feel of the place. Um, and again, it probably speaks to the, the market that we were in, but um, we really did, we, we emphasized access and getting families through the process. Um, and so I've certainly learned a lot since coming to College Coach about how to get people through the process and, and how colleges should be communicating to, to families. And some mm-hmm. colleges, quite frankly, do it better than others. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and some, sometimes I'm pretty amazed at at how adversarial or sometimes how unfriendly the process is for families. Um, and I hope that when I was at St. Olaf, that we were we had a pretty high level of customer service, and we were really trying to to get people through the process. You know, I think that's really what our goal is here at College Coach in anything that we do, uh, whether it's the work that we are doing through corporate benefits or the individual families that come to us or the people who listen to our podcast or read our blog is hopefully to make it a little bit easier to understand. And if you can't get the empathy from the college, at least we can try and help you understand how to navigate their process um, a little bit better. So. And, and to be fair to the colleges, they're trying to distribute their money equitably. And certainly Absolutely. when I worked in a financial aid office, that was not an easy thing to do. It was sometimes very, very tough. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's key. Is, yes. <laughs> it's a complicated I don't think process. It, and, I, you know, I think, I think not necessarily empathizing with the families doesn't mean you don't care about them, right? It's right, just exactly. what you said. <laughs> Having so much on your plate, having so many institutional priorities, uh, and I do think exactly. there can be a, a level of distrust between the two parties that doesn't help. Um, so anyway, but that's a conversation for another yeah, day, and I think we need to get segment. into it today. <laughs> Kathy, thank you so much for joining the show, and uh, I think that was really great insight into St. Olaf's 
uh, and the colleges into their process. So I appreciate it. All right. Happy to be here. All right, great. Uh, We are going to break again, but when we get back, we're going to be talking about what to expect when those early round results come in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes, Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for staying with us today or for joining us if you're just getting uh, around to listening to this segment. Uh, Early results are coming out, and they're going to start rolling out, I think, tomorrow, actually, on December 8th. I've heard of a couple of schools that may be notifying as early as December 8th, and some of these schools are going to roll out their decisions, uh, and they won't come until January, maybe even February, but a lot of them are going to come in December. And I'm very excited to welcome uh, my colleague and former Georgetown admissions officer, Lauren Randall. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Beth, how are you? I'm good, thanks. And Lauren and I both uh, work for schools with early rounds. Lauren at Georgetown, they had early action. At uh, Penn, where I worked, we had early decision. Uh, And we've, of course, worked with students applying to all types of early programs, 
uh, priority, rolling, early action, early decision, restricted early action, all that good stuff. So we're going to try and share some insight into what to expect. So I guess my first question for you today is um, we have, if we focus on early action and early decision, you get in to either an early action or early decision school. What's the difference between those two admit decisions? Sure, definitely. I think that's a good place to start. But I actually, if it's okay, Beth, I want to back up just one second because I actually had a student just email me and said, how will I even hear? How am I expecting to hear? And I thought that was a really good place to start this conversation because it dawned on me that students might not even know where to be looking. Um, Is it snail mail? Is it coming in email? Is it a text message? So I I thought that was important to point out that, that each college could have a different way of notifying. Uh, where I work at Georgetown, it's one of the few places that still does snail mail. So you would be anxiously waiting for the at the mailbox. Um, so there are some places that will put it a hard copy with your decision in the mail. But I would say more and more, the norm is, is online. But there's two yep. different ways. It could come by email. So you might just open up the email and there you go. It, it's right there <laughs> looking at you. Or they could say, log into your portal for the decision. And I, and this is what I want to, to point out for students, that if you, after you applied, if you got an email saying, create your student account uh, or application portal, really take the time to do that because you might, that might be where your decision ultimately comes. So you don't want to be right. scrambling with, with passwords and things like that. Uh, so I just wanted well, to and- point that out first. Excellent point and a great way to start. And I'm glad that you got that email that prompted you to say this. And the only other thing I would say is that oftentimes um, you might be listening and saying, well, I don't know when my school is notifying. They will often also share that either in the portal or they might email you to say, hey, by the way, we're going to be releasing decisions on this date at this time. So these are, um, you know, the administrative side of the application process is super important in terms of keeping yourself organized with the portal links, with your passwords, um, and making sure that if you're not someone who regularly checks your email, you become that person at least until you finish out the college process. And I would argue that you still need to pay attention because then you're going to start getting lots of information from the college. But I'm digressing. So let's get back to that original question around early action versus early decision. Okay, so you've gotten good news. You are admitted either round um, that you applied for at that college, early action versus early decision, but there is a big difference on what that means. So if you are admitted early action, you got that good news, you can just soak it up, but you don't actually have to make any kind of movement. You don't have to do anything about it. The 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 um, deposit deadline is May 1st. So you're not, you have not committed anywhere. Now the schools are certainly going to do everything possible to try to get you to, to make that decision, to, to enroll, to submit your deposit. They might offer you better housing if you, if you um, turn in your deposit earlier, but just remember early action, you have not committed anywhere. If you're admitted, you can soak it up, um, but you have every white right to wait to um, compare scholarship offers that might come in a little bit later. It's not always um, in that same notification. So certainly wait if you're um, comparing offers. 
scholarship offers. Um, and also, you have every right to still apply to more schools. So with early action, even if you have a, a, some great offers, if you want to apply regular decision anywhere else, you have every right to. But yeah. that's different with early decision. Does that make sense yeah. with early action? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But early decision sounds similar, but that admit means something very different. You have already committed. You're done. You, you've signed on the dotted line. You are going there. So you have to turn in your deposit. You don't have until May 1st. Um, they will say, you, we need your deposit now because you've already committed. But a really important step here is that if you are waiting to hear back from other schools um, that you apply to, uh, early action or rolling, or if you had submitted some regular decision applications um, just in advance, you need to contact each school and let them know that you have been accepted early decision elsewhere and you're withdrawing your application. That is something that every school is expecting you to do. So an early decision admit means you need to inform and withdraw at all other colleges. Right. And uh, that is one of the reasons that I encourage my students to, unless there's a reason that they need to submit early to their regular decision schools, I really encourage them to have it ready to go, but not to press the button until they hear from their early decision school if they've applied to one, because then if you apply, you spend the money and now you have to go through the trouble of withdrawing your file. And that's kind exactly. of a pain. So uh, really great explanation of the difference, the differences there. Uh, so, so some schools in will deny in the early rounds. Um, what does that mean for students? Sure. So yes, some schools you're, you might get back that bad news saying that, that you've not been admitted. If you get the deny, it's really the end of the road at that pool for this year. Um, yeah. You can always apply the following year or as a transfer student, but they're saying we have enough information in order to know that you're not going to be successful in the application review at regular decision. We don't need anything more. So we don't need any more grades. We don't need more test scores. We don't need any appeals or uh, love note essays. We had it all. We've made our decisions, and we're letting you go now. We don't want to string you along. We don't think that's fair to you. You need to move on with your life, and so do we. So it is the end of the road for that early round school. You don't get a second opportunity to apply again. So I think that's really important. Some students get that deny and say, oh, well, can I still submit a regular decision application, yep. apply again, and the answer is no. Yes, I, um, I actually saw a question in the queue uh, asking exactly that. So I'm really glad that you made that point. Um, mm -hmm. What about, you know, one of the other things we see happen when students don't get accepted, so get flat out denied to their early round school or schools, is sometimes a panic around regular decision. And what is your... What are your thoughts on, on, you know, how does that impact where you're going to apply for regular decision, or does it? I, I think it does, or it should. I really do think it should be a, a, a time for a gut check. So what I mean by that is oftentimes students kind of use their early round tips for some of their reach schools, some of those harder-to-get-into schools. That, that's at least been my experience. 
um, especially with early decisions. So you're really putting your your um, your chips saying, okay, I want to be strategic as possible. I know my chances are better at early decisions. If you get back that deny, I really do think it's a gut check time to, to consider what does my regular decision list look like? Is it filled with a lot more reach schools? Does, uh, are the schools that I'm applying to, do they have very low acceptance rates? Do I know that that school is harder to get into at regular decisions? If you're yep. answering yes to those questions, you could be setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment come April. So I do think it's a gut check to make sure. Can you apply to a couple more reach schools? Sure, but know that it's, I don't really know any school that's easier at regular decision. Um, yep. So my, the big point here is, do you have plenty of great options in that target, that no problem category? Because that's really your sweet spot now um, moving forward. And you want to come April with the decisions coming back to you, you want to feel like this was a success. Do you want to end up with eight more rejections? No, I, I mean, I certainly don't. I wouldn't want any of my students to feel that way. You want to make sure that you're setting yourself up well to, re- to receive those um, positive decisions come April. Right. I agree. And the, the interesting thing for me, <clears throat> having sat in the committee room and made decisions in the early round, you know, one of the things that I really pushed for in my region was to try to let students go if I knew that they really didn't have a shot, to your point. When mm-hmm. I was at Penn, we probably did about a third, a third, and a third. So we were, and, and that was a few years ago, and, and I'm not sure that these percentages hold, but we, I really tried hard only to keep students around who I thought could potentially have a shot in the regular decision round. The only mm-hmm. point I want to make there is that not all schools do that. So there are a number of schools out there who primarily defer. So we're going to talk about deferral next, um, but I did want to throw it out there, not as a, not to be a downer, more as a reality check, that a deferral mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean you have a great shot at getting in in regular decision. You are still in the running, yes, but there are schools where the majority of the early pool gets put through to regular, regardless of how great a shot they have or they don't. So it's, a, it's not as easy to, to extrapolate, oh, well, I got deferred. That means I have a great shot. But let's talk about deferral. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I, I certainly you know. have a lot of experience with that because I was, worked at one of those schools that deferred everybody yep, <laughs> um, yep. who was not admitted. So um, at early action, Georgetown did not, send out a single deny letter. You were either admitted or deferred. Now, that's not every school, but what does that deferral mean? I think that this is where it does get really tricky because it it does mean something different at some schools. If you know every single student was deferred from from that school um, that, that wasn't admitted, does that mean your chances are great? Well, no, everybody was in the same boat. Right, right. Um, so try to figure that out as opposed to a school that only defers a certain number of students or, you know, tries to keep it at a, for those students that are, that have a realistic chance. Um, so that does take a little bit of work um, to try to figure out, but I do think it makes a difference. Um, now, for the deferral, um, I do think it's the same sort of, 
of philosophy, though, that I was just talking about in terms of the gut check. It, it does not mean your chances are great at regular decisions. So, again, I think it's really important to set yourself up for success and, and getting those offers in April to make sure to really evaluate your regular decision list. Do I have plenty of great options in the target and the no problem category, or am I trying to stretch a, a lot here and throw out uh, seven more Ivy League applications? That's probably not the time to be doing that. Yeah, I, I do. I think I see it a lot. <clears throat> and and I, I and I'm I'm a little at a loss as to how to stop people from doing it because I always want to, you know it is well it certainly is true that you might stand out in one pool and not in another. It's still hard to you know imagine that if you put together if you worked as hard as you could on that first application and it was you put your best foot forward and it didn't get you over the line how it's going to put you over the line at another group of highly selective schools who are, you know, even harder to get into in the regular round. It's a little tricky. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Is there any, any last advice for students as they get those early decisions? Well, I hope that, that they are preparing for it, and I don't just mean psychologically. Um, for, well, hey, let's, let's start there. So remember, this is not a reflection on you as a person. This is a reflection of the applicant pool. So I, as much as possible, try to remove it from being a, a personal decision here. Um, but don't wait until the last minute. I think what you said was great. Be prepared for your regular decision. I said, keep working. Keep moving yes. ahead. You can hit, you can hit submit once you get that decision. But now's the time to keep to keep grinding it out um, until until you get those decisions in hand. Yes. Absolutely, because the last thing you're going to want to do if you hear no from your top choice is sit down and write uh, about another school that now you're even less excited about attending because you've just had your heart broken by your first one. Exactly, exactly. Great advice, great advice. Um, Well, thank you again, Lauren, for being here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Uh, and, and I want to thank all my guests today. Next week, I'm actually back. I'm hosting two weeks in a row. Very exciting. Um, we're going to be talking about the supplemental essays for Columbia, uh, Columbia University in New York during office hours. We're going to be welcoming one of our MBA admissions experts to talk about the MBA perspective on good leadership. Uh, and we're also going to talk about saving for college for people who have started late, i.e. any of those parents who are listening who have high school students and haven't really saved for college. Uh, if you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We have an amazing collection of archives. We have our blog. Uh, that's at uh, blog.getintocollege.com. We're on LinkedIn. You can download the show for free on iTunes. Please rate us while you're there if you end up doing that. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.